This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. It just gave away a $50 gift card to Metro Diner. We'll do that all week long, right around uh, the 4.30 time slot, between 4.30 and 5 o'clock. You know, if I give you 4.30, that means you've got to be able to slide your uh, watch about 15 minutes, just in case. (laughs) (laughs) But... You can walk away with a $50 gift uh, card to Metro Diner, uh, like we just had one listener do. And uh, by the way, you can get your pre-ordered meals in the Metro Diner uh, for Mother's Day coming up on Sunday. Uh, get them in by uh, May 8th, which would be this Friday, and you can pick them up Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. Brent Martineau, Austin Lane, Coos, here on a Monday, coming off another couple of episodes of The Last Dance. We'll get to that in just a little bit because I want to spin it into... Um, a little bit of a brand talk, not our brand. Oh, maybe our brand, but uh, Michael Jordan's brand, of course. But right now out there, we, let's finish up this discussion mm-hmm. about quarterbacks in the National Football League. And on the screen, if you're watching the video side, and, and if you're not, that's okay. You can probably you probably know most of the quarterbacks that are playing for the teams anyway. We put up all the what we think are starting quarterbacks or franchise quarterbacks in each division. So AFC East, we did put Tua and Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Jarrett Stidham right now uh, for this coming season. And we said pick a division for one season, pick a division for five years down the road. Austin, you say, and we both actually agree, the NFC South is just a no-brainer with right Brady and Breeze yeah. for this year. If you had to ride with a division. And now, listen, it's got close competition. I mean, think about the talent in the NFC North. Aaron Rodgers, obviously, people think he's the best talent in the game right now. Matthew Stafford is, is under-delivered on his career, partly because he's in Detroit. Yeah. But he's also put up incredible numbers, too. Mm-hmm. Kirk Cousins, underrated in terms of the numbers. You talk about a stat guy. You know, we were having that conversation a little bit earlier, which I'd like to revisit. Yeah, yeah. Stats versus wins. Cousins has put up a bunch of stats. Yes. That's a great example of a guy who's put up stats but still not considered, like, yep. cream of the crop. You're right. Because of his inability to win big, he did finally get a playoff win Mm -hmm. this past year. And I put Nick Foles in that category, but he is a Super Bowl champ. I mean, quietly, the NFC North has some... Add some pretty good resumes. Listen, I'm not going to call anybody from the Bears legit quite yet. We'll see how the the quarterback battle shakes down. I do agree with your Kirk Cousins comparison. Um, If you look at his stats, man, any team in the NFL would take those stats, okay? Um, He just hasn't got over the hump yet, you know, and that says something about it. Um, Matthew Stafford, like you said, yes, obviously he's been on some teams that haven't had a lot of talent. You know, I mean, I'm reminded back of Kelvin Johnson was – Really, to, to me, the only time the, the Lions offense was really a formidable opponent. I mean, I get it. They're, they're high-scoring offense all the time, but I'm not I'm not afraid of them, okay? And Aaron Rodgers, you know how I feel about him, Brent, all right? Not a top-five quarterback, but I think he's – I mean, he's – listen, he make any team better if he goes on any team right now without a doubt. And with the whole Jordan Love thing, there's a little controversy there. I'm not mad at the NFC South, but I would actually argue I would probably take the NFC East maybe even ahead – of the North right now. Like, wow. Yeah. Wow. And, and, I, and I'm saying you that. crazy. I, I, I might be, man. But keep in mind, Nick Foles won a Super Bowl. Carson Wentz got him there. Got him partly there. Three quarters of the way there. Car- Carson Wentz got him there. Okay. Three quarters of he, the way. Carson Wentz won the MVP award that year if he didn't get hurt. If he's, he didn't. He's pretty good. Uh, he's, he's not bad. You're, so the, the next one's a little harder, and that is the five-year projection. Mm-hmm. We both agree on the NFC South. Uh, that's the one to go win right now. 
But uh, the NFC West is what you said with Goff, Murray, Garoppolo, Wilson. Give him in five years. And I like this for uh, – I don't love this pick, by the way, and I'm not going here. You don't be- have to. Because Goff and Murray, to me, are still so questionable. Jimmy G, will he get to the elite stage? I don't know. But I think he'll be a pretty good quarterback, especially the marriage with Shanahan is, is a pretty good one. Russell Wilson, if you look up in 2024 – has a very good chance to be the best quarterback in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Who knows where Aaron Rodgers is at that time? Breeze and Brady are gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, Russell Wilson will have the best resume by that time and probably have probably be the best guy in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, I think that's fair shake. So well, between have, him and Patrick, Patrick Mahomes. Oh, yeah, Mahomes, that's true. Yeah. Mahomes. But yeah. from the longest time, yeah, Mahomes will have then done it for four, five, six years. Maybe he has a couple of Super Bowls by then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think Wilson's in that category, you know, yeah. well, uh, so no doubt about it. And Roethlisberger could still be playing at that time. Exactly. I just like Wilson going forward because guess what? Wilson hasn't had a lot to work with sometimes, and he still finds a way. Absolutely. Patrick Mahomes, we'll see. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes, fantastic quarterback right now. But you cannot, you can't have Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Nicole Hardman, and all these weapons. Eventually, if the NFL is supposed to do its job and have a salary cap or something, you can't have all those weapons. Okay, so I want to see what Patrick Mahomes looks like when he's the highest paid quarterback in the NFL, and then all of a sudden that roster has to adapt towards that. Well, I think it's interesting because the other day I tweeted out uh, on a Saturday, I think it was that somebody, I think ESPN tweeted, the entire LSU team is now in the NFL on offense. Hmm. And I said, it does make you wonder how good Joe Burrow is. I mean, look at the talent. Now, in fairness, I don't say that about Patrick Mahomes. I think he's a really good quarterback. But look at the talent around him. He's been put in such a good situation. So I'm not trying to knock Burrow. But I do. It was the first thing that jumped in my mind. It's like, all right, wait a minute. This guy did it for one year. And he did it when everything was right. I mean, this was like the perfect season for the LSU Tigers. I I think if I was in Cincinnati, I'd have that be my reservation. Like, did he do it for long enough? Has he shown enough of these traits? Yeah. And, heck, we don't, we might not have the talent they had on offense. You, you, you don't have LSU right now. You do not have that. <laughs> I mean, not I'm not close. trying to say that LSU would beat the Bengals. I'm just saying yeah. the talent surrounding them compared to the talent they were playing against, well, Cincinnati certainly doesn't have that. So yeah. it's interesting to see where it ranks. All right, here's my, my team for the next five years. I think I will take the North, believe it or not. The NFC North? Uh, AFC. Oh, I'm sorry, AFC North. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna hope that. Well, I don't really hope, but I'm gonna subscribe to that. Ben Roethlisberger bounces back, kind of has a few years still left in him to help carry the mantle. Okay. Uh, now, is he the best quarterback in the game? Don't have to be. Uh, you yeah. can still be very productive. The savvy. Uh, he's an elder statesman, but still has enough left in the tank. Well, Lamar keep in Jackson. Mind, yeah, they're not gonna resign Juju Smith-Schuster or James Conner. They kind of kind of came out and said. So it's going to be a completely new offense, but keep going. Lamar Jackson uh, has certainly is in a position to be that guy, and they should be good for years to come, the way they're built, the way they're set up, the way they've drafted, and he should just get better and more comfortable. Uh, and I'm going to put some stock in Burrow and Mayfield. Okay. Mayfield, by the way, is surrounded by so much. I find it hard to believe he falls on his face this year, and that will buy him a few more years. Now, will he always be surrounded by Landry and OBJ? Probably not, but they're pretty. they're set up to make a decent run. You know, you could look at Cleveland especially as a team that now vaults into the top eight of the NFL. Now, they're Cleveland. It's hard to imagine that. Yep. But they could. And that that will depend on Mayfield if he's good. So if I'm going to buy, I think I'd get a nice favorable number from Vegas on okay. buying the AFC North. Okay. But I'm going to buy the AFC North for the next five years and roll the dice. Keep in mind, too, we have a nice bet this year. Uh, a lot of sweet action on this one that I think Baker Mayfield will have a better year than Ben Roethlisberger. Remember that bet that we made? So we have that I one do. coming up. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, yeah. 
Apple archives where all these bets are just waiting to get unleashed. Well, the way what I'm you, talking, uh, I don't know if it'll happen this year because I didn't pick him for this year, but next year, Roethlisberger will win MVP and Mayfield will be number two in the votes. <laughs> <All right>. And <laughs> Lamar will be three. I like it. <laughs> Let me ask you this. With the way it looks on paper right now, and once again, we're, we're playing the what-if game a little bit. Next five years, AFC South. Yeah, well, I think right now they're in the conversation, could they be the worst quarterback division? Oh, see, I, I disagree. Who's the worst quarterback division? I would honestly go probably with the AFC West. Even with Mahomes in. Even, I mean, yeah, listen, Mahomes is the best quarterback, don't get me wrong. But overall, I mean, maybe the AFC East, I guess? Yeah, AFC East, you got to wonder about. I would, but I mean, look at a lot. A lot of people you know believe in Gardner Mitchell. Deshaun Watson, I think, like seventy percent of his targets went to uh, Hopkins. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Philip Rivers could be like holding a cane by midseason, but he's still Philip Rivers. It, it could be, yeah. you know. And Ryan Tannehill, uh, not to me, is, Tannehill. They should have never even yeah. signed to that deal. Yeah. So, and I actually and think your NFC East is interesting, right? Prescott's been surrounded by a bunch of great talent. He's done well. Yeah. He's not elite, but he's done well. Wentz, can, can he stay healthy? And then the other two guys, I mean, they've got great bustability still, even though I believe in Jones. I was going to say you're going to go against your boy Daniel Jones. Yeah, I think overall I'm going with the AFC East as by far the worst quarterback division right now. Yeah, I think you have to. Sam Darnold sees ghosts. We don't know what's going to go on in New England quite yet. Tua, Tua is he the guy going the forward? Big, big question mark. And, 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 guy, and Josh Allen's, you know, I think Josh Allen's a great quarterback, but once again, I'll take Patrick Mahomes the, all day. Take that back. Don't Josh. say great. I, I think Josh Allen's an okay quarterback. <laughs> Thank you. I think Josh Allen's a great defensive end. Um, but overall, Patrick Mahomes. I once, um, I once said, great is the most overused word in sports broadcasting, and you just did it. Well, you don't think he's great? Josh Allen. You don't think Josh Allen's great? I mean, I don't know, man. What was his numbers last year? Let me bring those numbers uh, up. Let's yeah. go with maybe good. He's de- decent? Decent. Okay. Trending up. Trending up. Intriguing. Intriguing is a good way yeah, to put it. intriguing going forward. His stock is rising. His stock is rising. That's a, yeah, that's a good way to couch. Bad. But great. Nah. Let's go over his numbers. Ooh, yeah. Oh. Uh, 20 touchdowns. Nine or yeah, okay. Hey, what's interesting. Intriguing. Though, just think in five years, okay? Just allow yourself to do this. We think the NFC South right now is the best. In five years, they age out. Yeah. You know, Breeze and Brady, who knows where Matt Ryan is. And, and Teddy Bridgewater, let's, let's be honest. He still has a lot to prove. You know, so that could be a whole different set of quarterbacks. I mean, in in uh, four years now, I would think Deshaun Watson has staying power in the AFC South, unless Bill O'Brien trades him away. Who knows? Yeah, who knows what's going to happen with the Texans? Uh, The NFC North in five years. That's an interesting one. Rodgers, Stafford, Cousins, and Foles. Mm -hmm. That could be completely swept over. Yep. AFC North in five years certainly looks like it'll be around. Looks good. Uh, NFC East in five years certainly looks like it'll be around. Mm-hmm. NFC West certainly looks like it'll be around. AFC West is Mahomes, Carr, Herbert, and Locke. I don't know. I mean, Mahomes we'll is see. it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, in the AFC East, I think it's the same thing. Who knows if they'll be around in five years? That's a long time in the NFL, but yeah. uh, pretty fascinating look well, around. The- and I'm sure Trevor Lawrence will probably go to the Patriots and they'll win a couple more <laughs> Super Bowls because it's the NFL. That's what the Patriots do. You guys do. have such Patriots. Vulgar hate, d- d- fear, dismay, fear. Okay, fear. Uh, that's a good word. Yeah, and it's really clouding everybody right okay. now. Okay. Uh, one one last question about the quarterback, since Kuz did such a nice job putting this all on the screen, and we appreciate it. How many teams are there? This is what I find fascinating about the NFL. If we go back and did this radio show eight years ago, I think we would. Uh, and I just threw eight years out, but maybe it's six. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. There would be, in my guesstimation. 
a dozen teams that are like, man, I need a quarterback. Man, I need a quarterback. We need a quarterback. We, you know, mm-hmm. at least it, there might be more. It might be sixteen teams. As you look at this list in 2020 and going into 2021, because I think that is a, a that's relevant here in Jacksonville, depending on what happens with the quarterback situation. How many people are saying, man, we got to look in the next couple of years to get quarterback? Yeah. Well, with the Patriots are obvious. The rest of the AFC East thinks they have their guy in the next two years. AFC West, Derek Carr, because of the weird nature of Gruden, even though he's probably proven more than Gruden's willing to admit. Herbert and Locke look like they're the guys in the next couple of years, and they're invested in it. NFC West, Wilson, Garoppolo, Goff, and Murray. I mean, contract-wise, Goff's got to be the guy for yeah. the next couple of years. He's committed. AFC North, no doubt they all have their guys for the next couple of years. NFC East, we'll see what happens with Prescott, but I think they, they are going to come to a long-term deal with him. And those guys, Haskins, I would put in the category. I, I think in next year, if Washington stinks this year, they might go get, like Rivera might get his own quarterback. Oh, without right. a doubt. I mean, yeah, no one's going to say that Haskins' job's even safe this year, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. But Jaguars, I think, would be in this category because it's a one-year thing with, with Minshew. Uh, Phillip Rivers, I, I'm not sure Eason is their guy, even though they drafted him in the fourth round. Mm-hmm. So I'd put them in the category. Tannehill, they just up for four years. Watson's Watson. Rodgers, Stafford, Cousins, and I would put Chicago in the category. So that's six teams. Well, Rod, I mean, we'll see with the Packers, too. With Rodgers? We don't know. I mean, yeah, but like, they got Jordan Love, so they yeah, have already I'm, invested. I'm eventually, oh, I got you. Okay. Yeah, I got you. Uh, Breeze. Now, Tampa will fit this. They're going to have to look forward and down the road mm-hmm. because of Brady. But I would say Jameis Winston going to New Orleans right now kind of takes them off that market, at least in terms of desperate for a yeah. young guy. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, Bridgewater, they just committed $20 million for the next couple of years each year. But you would see Teddy. I think he's more of a bandit than he is the – we'll, we'll see. I mean, listen. But let's go high He's end. got a chance to prove some people. High are. end, there might be eight teams that you would say in the next two years – Really are chasing a quarterback. Correct. Yeah. That's a low number in the NFL, don't you think? Um, yeah. And I, mean, I, mean, some I don't know. questionable, man. No, I hear, I hear you. Like, I don't think it's, to me, it's, I don't know. I, I'm not really blown away by that number. I, I guess because, you know, teams commit to quarterbacks, man. Teams draft quarterbacks and, like, they're either, they're not that good or they're good, but you're stuck with them for a couple of years to see. You know, so th- th- there's always that honeymoon period, and there's always that period where, all right, well, they can get away with this a little bit because they're new, and we'll see what happens from there. So as far as, you know, whatever, we'll say five, six, seven teams needing new quarterbacks, that doesn't really shock me at all. Yeah, uh, well, it, what's shocking to me is there are not more, That hmm. I, I guess, because over the years, I feel like there's been more, and people have found a quarterback they're comfortable with. Now, that doesn't mean they're right. Again, I'm talking a small window here. This is the next two years. This year, next year, are you going to invest big into a quarterback? I would say there are eight teams max that would take that investment and jump up and get it. And some of those teams, by the way, are going to finish like third in the NFL and pick 29th. So they're not going to be in position. Mm -hmm. So my point kind of goes back to next year and the year following. These teams that do need a quarterback or might need a quarterback might not have a lot of competition. Much like, look what we saw last year, right? The Jags were the only ones interested in the best free agent in the market, and that was Foles. They were the only team that was interested, mm-hmm. given their situations. 
that is really unique. Yeah. Uh, in that sense. Yeah, I mean, it's like I said. I mean, I think teams kind of get catered and they get kind of married to their guys, and then they have to see it through. I mean, Foles was an exception because they had Carson Wentz ready, so they really had no room for Foles, unfortunately. Um, so once again, I think it's, listen, if you draft a quarterback, if you invest in a quarterback, that investment takes longer than maybe sometimes one, two, or even three years, okay? And then if you don't like him, then you can kind of wash your hands of all of it, especially a guy taken in higher rounds, and especially usually a guy that you pay top dollar free agency for. Now, the the Jaguars got lucky with the Bears in the standpoint of the Bears were desperate, and they traded for folds. But usually the way it works is if you bring in a quarterback, under rare circumstances, does that quarterback just all of a sudden leave after one year? Yeah, uh, really interesting. Again, it kind of, to me, it all circles back to the Jags and Minshew and kind of ties a bow onto all that. It's the Jags could get them out of that conversation with a good year from Gardner Minshew. They could put themselves right in the middle of that conversation, but pretty good timing. Uh, I think it's worth repeating. This franchise has not had a bunch of luck. I think they're in a fortunate situation for what they're trying to do right now, for the timing of it. Uh, and that is, hey, see what we have in this guy? Super marketable guy, fun guy, perfect fit. See what we have. And then if we don't and we find out we don't, we need to know by the end of the year. But we might have draft capital and a luxury of a high pick and not a lot of competition for guys that need young quarterbacks um, in 2021 in the draft. So that part uh, is pretty interesting to me. When we get, We're going to take a break in just a couple minutes, uh, not right this second. When we get back, I want to talk a little bit about The Last Dance, oh, yeah. what you thought about the last two episodes, and also branding. Speaking of, that kind of fits the Minshew narrative as well, doesn't it? Uh, but something struck me last night about Michael Jordan. It's not like I didn't know, but in relative to now, uh, we'll talk a little bit about The Last Dance. Before we do that, just for uh, folks just jumping in, big story of the day here in Jacksonville is that there will be eight home games in the regular season here in Jacksonville. No London games, so two preseason games, eight regular season games right here in Jacksonville for the first time since 2012. And just to kind of bullet point what we've discussed already, might be a big advantage for Minshew and this young football team. They have 30 players on a 90-man roster who are rookies, 18 undrafted free agents, 12 draft picks. They have a bunch of guys that are expected to do well, our second-year players, Minshew, Josh Allen, those kind of guys. Then they even have younger young players that have done well, like a DJ Chark. You know, and even Miles Jack, who now is like an elder statesman, has <laughs> still only been around for four years. So that element of this could be a really good break for the Jacksonville Jaguars. We don't believe there's a home field advantage over there for the Jags. It's everybody does the same thing. You laid this out in the first segment of the show, and that is the Jags messed around with the best way to do this trip. We went over there the first year after a road trip to Cincinnati. We went from Cincinnati right over to London. We stayed a week. Then there was another time we left, I think, on a Monday morning, stayed a week. Then the third year, it was Thursday night, get there Friday morning, make it basically an elongated West Coast trip, and they've done that ever since. So that's the way it's been. But other teams now know about that, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, So other teams, even if you're coming out from the West, they might go play Baltimore one week and then fly over. So they're not going flying all this. uh, People have figured out the science of it and what works best. So to your point... There's not much of an advantage. The Jaguars have given teams the blueprint, essentially. Yeah, exactly. And listen, when you're the youngest team in the NFL and you have a bunch of rookies coming in, 
it's a detriment to try to take them across the sea, play in London for two games, and expect them to just go along like nothing's going, you know, like nothing's happening. Okay, like I had troubles adjusting to the West Coast games. Now, granted, when I played uh, my first my rookie year, we went over on a Saturday and played the game on Sunday, which in retrospect, didn't really make that much sense because you kind of need time to adjust a little bit. So Coach Del Rio kind of changed his philosophy from that. But the last thing you want right now with a young team is to try to add new um, things that they're not accustomed to, okay? Like, it's hard enough right now that guys can't train where they want to train because of everything going on. It could be hard enough for guys that are coming in the league because maybe training camp gets delayed. Maybe there's no OTAs. Maybe there's not rookie minicamp. Like, those are all things that prepare an NFL player, especially a rookie, to get ready for the season. If those things are gone now, well, the adjustment period could be that much more crazy. And then you, you want to add two London games on top of that, considering a lot of these guys have never even been to London before. So, like I said before, it's a blessing in disguise from the standpoint of you can get guys ready for the NFL, you can get them acclimated, and not have to worry about necessarily, I don't want to say babysitting, but worrying about guys in a new country trying to adjust to a new time zone and traveling and all that stuff like you can wash your hands of that now. And to me, if you're the uh, Jaguars fan, if you're in that building and or in the organization, I get you lose some money from it. But you know what? The long in the grand scheme of things, it's probably for the best. I think, by the way, this is good for the fans. First of all, tops of the list. Because if you want to see more football, you get a chance, hopefully, to see more football. Now, there's a caveat there is, will you be allowed in? And, and those are unanswered questions. We'll have to wait till later this summer. Mm-hmm. But even the way the Jags revealed their ticket plan today and modified things in terms of deadlines and, and uh, referral payments and refunds, and I, I think the Jags did a nice job. You can check more of that out at Jaguars.com. And uh, they invite you, actually, to call them if you have questions. Uh, at at nine zero four six three three two thousand. That's not us, by the way. That's them. And and that because there's a lot to talk through for season ticket holders. So they in, invite you to do that. Uh, but the next on the list, I, I would probably put players pretty close. But players can adjust. Players, most of these guys are young. It's whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, just go play, roll the ball out. I think it's a big helper though to Doug Marone. I think it's one less thing. Doug Doug Marone doesn't have to worry about now getting all these young guys on the same page. And, and when I say Doug Marone, I mean the staff. Sure, Doug has helped getting that stuff, but he doesn't have to bother with that messaging. That's nice to not have to do that right in the middle of a season, depending on how you're playing at the time. I mean, think about what was on the line for the Jacksonville Jaguars when they went to London last year. Mm-hmm. They were 4-3. and three. No, no, I'm sorry. They were 4-4. Four and four. They were in the, starting this huge stretch against the AFC South. It was Houston and London and Indianapolis on the road and Tennessee. Yeah. Huge, huge stretch. It was the biggest stretch of the season. And for Gardner Minshew, what loomed, and for that entire locker room, and for Doug Marone in terms of decision-making, was a QB decision on the other side of the bye week. Mm-hmm. So think about all that stuff going on. And doesn't it make you wonder if the Jags had played that game in in Jacksonville against Houston instead of at Wembley Stadium, would the result have been any different? Could the season have been any different? Now, listen, I'm not here to say, yeah, it would have been. Mm, yeah. But it could make you wonder as a head coach who tries to find things, all right, what went wrong, why weren't we ready, all this kind of stuff. It's a fair curiosity. And if they win that game in Houston because it's in Jacksonville, they got the home fans, they're more comfortable, Minshew plays well. Well, maybe he keeps the job. 
Maybe they go on a little bit of a, a run instead of losing five in a row. You know, th- yeah, those things I mean, cross your mind as a coach. And no, you yeah, don't have to worry about that stuff now no, going you're into sure. 2020. No, for sure. But at the same time, though, yeah, May Minshew does play better, goes on a streak, but it doesn't make up for the fact that your defensive line allowed 200 yards rushing for three games in a row. Yeah. You know, like that. The, you can't play erase in, it. Yeah. Play, playing in London, in my opinion, had nothing to do with that. You just. Guys weren't where they needed to be. Guys weren't playing well, and it is what it is there. So um, I see where you're coming from where would it have helped Minshew a little more? Maybe. I'm going to make the argument saying I think the game plan for that game affected him more than actually playing in London yeah. for the first time. But, yeah, I mean, you know, coaches always use that kind of stuff, though. Like, any, any like, listen, any little thing, you know, coaches want to use and be like, well, this – kind of affected us in a certain way so well not only that man but then momentum is stalled you know sure what would have been if you could have been say say i'm just right on the london game you're five and four mm-hmm. well even if you lose the next week in indianapolis now you're five and five well they, instead they were four and six and they yeah. lost two in a row against asc south you know so again I, i'll buy some of that from a coach mm-hmm. i'll be like i'm looking for any edge in the nfl not disadvantage yeah. and you can make the case that is uh, in at times depending on your football team the makeup of your football team how you're doing that season it's certainly not an edge and it might be a disadvantage mm-hmm. uh given the situation so uh no london games here in 2020 jags will play all 10 here in jacksonville when we come back the last dance what do you think about it and how michael jordan started really this trend of branding that we now all talk about He had to be the pioneer for that. Mm -hmm. Is there somebody else we're missing? How he helped shape today's athlete, not just on the basketball court. Next on ESPN 690. For those of you who don't know what Don Shula meant to South Florida, uh, he was the first credible giant sports thing that we had that was national. You can make the argument that the Dolphins have never been as relevant as they were under Don Shula, that the Dolphins have spent the last 25 years desecrating what he built in South Florida with uh, a perfect season, with uh, two Super Bowl championships, with Belichick still needs wins to catch him on the career uh, wins list. He's got an expressway named after him in South Florida. That's Dan Levitard. You listen to him on ESPN 690, 10 a.m. till 1 p.m. Uh, daily with Stu Gatz. And he said it very well on Don Shula. Listen, I'm a guy that grew up a Dolphins fan. I know so many people know I'm from New England, uh, from the Rhode Island area, and assume that I grew up a Patriots fan. And that was not the case. Uh, real thirty quick 30 seconds on the story. Patriots were blacked out just about every week in New England when I was a kid. And they stunk. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, 84, when I first watched football, when I was seven, when I remember, it was one of the first games I remember seeing is the Super Bowl, uh, San Francisco and, and the Miami Dolphins and the 49ers won the game, but I fell in love with Marino. I think that year, I really remember seeing that game, but I remember that year because it was such an unbelievable year for Marino and obviously Shula and the Dolphins. I thought I was a huge Dolphins fan. Turned out years later when Marino retired, I kind of find out I was more of a Marino fan because I really, since then haven't cared about the Dolphins but Don Shula is the Miami Dolphins along with Marino and he passed away at the age of 90 uh, this morning that news came out so a big loss for South Florida he he really is the Miami Dolphins right I mean it's him and Dan Marino is who you think about simple as that without a doubt man and you know how I feel about the guy right because he was kind of a quarterback whisperer a little bit but he won his Super Bowls by 
doing a couple things. Number one, <laughs> pounding the rock. What's up, Larry Zonka? Shout out to Larry Zonka. And n- number two, winning in the trenches and stopping the run. Okay, and everything else took care of itself. And the numbers speak for itself. So I think it's a testament to who Shula was as a coach. And listen, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves in terms of his record, the accolades, the Super Bowl appearances, like. Exactly. But what makes him, I think, one of the best coaches, if not the best coach uh, of all time, is his ability to adapt. Because I just said, he, he his bread and butter was running the, the ball and playing great defense. But then all of a sudden, here comes Dan Marino. And like he had to change it up a little bit. And guess what? He did because he knew what he had with Dan Marino. So it's a testament to saying, like, we always talk about these new school coaches, you know, like being the players, coaches, and adapting. Well, Shula was doing that, man, way back in the day. You know, what's interesting to me, again, uh, Shula always comes across to me as just this grandfather-type figure. Mm-hmm. Because of the age he was probably when I started watching, and he seemed like this older man, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can always go back and find the video and the stories and the records and everything else even prior to. And the, the stories are, are numerous. So it, he's he's the all-time wins leader still. I mean, Belichick puts in perspective, I think, I, I think it was 56 games He's behind him. So that means Belichick would have to win for the next five years, 11 games a season, which he's done a lot. Sure. But now he doesn't have Brady exactly. just to catch Don Shula. And think about how great Belichick has been in these last two decades. Well, that shows you about yeah. the longevity of Shula, but also the greatness of well, Shula. And the, exactly. Because it's one thing to have a great quarterback like Dan Marino and be successful. Okay, It's one thing to have a Tom Brady and be successful. But to be, you know to do it over and over again, to reload year after year after year with new guys, new personnel, and still find a way to win a, a football game, that's what makes a legendary coach right there. By the way, another guy from another head coach, another legendary coach from the state of Ohio. I don't know what it is about Ohio and football, head coaches. man, football and wrestling, man. That's it's what Ohio just a does. weird spot to produce yeah. all these coaches. I mean, the line is long. I, I don't yeah. even we don't have to go through it right now. But if you look it up, uh, he's from from Ohio mm-hmm. and uh, another one that's on that uh, lineage. Jason, uh, Jason Fitz had a pretty cool comment before the show where he, he was saying, I forget who gave him the quote, but it was, Don Shula could beat you with any team, and then you could switch teams and he could beat you with that team. <laughs> I like it. That's a really good quote. Yeah, and, and probably right. I, I don't know if when I was growing up as a kid, again, he retired in, or ended his career with the Dolphins in 95, so I would have been 18 at that time. But I just don't know if I appreciated coaches, kind of the way we talk about coaches mm-hmm. now. Again, for me, it was a lot about Marino. So you learn more about Shula after the fact, uh, in, in my opinion. Um, but you get it, right? I mean, so big. But here's here's where it spins me to. I couldn't help but think of this. And this is how hard it is to follow greatness, man. Shula, one of the best of all time. Marino, one of the best of all time. And keep in mind, they didn't win a Super Bowl. Correct. But the Miami Dolphins have been horrible since they left. Mm-hmm. Shula in 95, Marino in 99. He was really on the back end. Of course, the Jaguars retired him 62-3. to But they've done nothing since. Think about the Buffalo Bills. Those four years in the Super Bowl. Yeah. So that would end in, what, 94, I think? Well, since, now they've gone to the playoffs in the last couple of years. But they've, finally, they yeah. finally started to knock on the door of relevancy again. It's taken... Almost two decades to get back there. Well, and the Dolphins have been in the playoffs thing twice since Shula. But which is, I mean, but that's not. I mean, I'm not saying a lot. I understand that. Yeah. So, but that's my point. Or the three, Dallas yeah, Cowboys haven't they won like one or 
only one or two postseason games since they won the Super Bowls with Jimmy Johnson and Switzer and and had that run, that dynastic run. Yeah. They've done nothing. Well, they, to be honest with you, they have done a decent amount like in the regular season, but they've done nothing in terms of getting back there. So they kind of fit at what I'm talking about. And this will shift us right into the next topic. Well, before I get to this example, mm-hmm. I, I wonder about this with the New England Patriots. Whatever Belichick hangs it up, but is it already starting right now because Brady's gone? And will they go the next 20 years with being like a normal team (laughs) or the normal highs and lows? Now, listen, there are examples of teams that haven't been. San Francisco's a decent example of, hey, they've won in kind of like almost every decade, it feels like, or at least knocked on the door of Super Bowls or been to them. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers are the same. You know, they have too. Uh, The Green Bay Packers kind of fit that, although we talked about last week. I mean, imagine having a first ballot Hall of Famer as your quarterback for 30 straight years and only winning two Super Bowls like that. You would never think that yeah. if you said that. If I said right now the Jags would have Hall of Fame quarterback and Hall of Fame quarterback for the next 30 years, you would sign. You would think they would win more than two Super Bowls. Correct. So it, it's just interesting how hard it is to get it back once you have it in the sport of the NFL especially. I'll say this. To go on with the Patriots, though, like once Belichick is gone, I mean, is that it? And... I almost think it is because it says a lot for Bill Belichick when you look at Bill Belichick's coaching tree. Okay. Now, Vrabel, you can maybe throw that category, but Vrabel like the best one, right? But Vrabel didn't come through like as a coach though. True. Like, Vrabel came through as a player. True, true. So I don't want to. I mean, I guess whatever. But is Bill O'Brien the best? Probably Bill O'Brien because I'm not gonna say Matt Patricia. Certainly but, not a good GM. But but but, but here's my point though. If this was like Andy Reid leading the Chiefs, you'd feel a lot better, right? Because you know you talk about Doug Peterson, Sean McDermott. It goes to show you that coaches can take what Andy Reid does and his kind of his traits and apply them to their own coaching style. What Bill Belichick shows us that no one's Bill Belichick. No one can do what Bill Belichick does. Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl with the Eagles, doing a lot what Andy Reid does, right? So I think Bill Belichick's style and who he is, it's so unique. It's so hard to copycat that once that's gone, you cannot replicate that. All right, so we just gave you examples of, especially in the NFL, where once you lose these legends, once you lose these times, it's tough to replace them and find your mojo and be relevant and be winners again. Mm -hmm. Really hard to do that. Well, there's an example in the NBA of that, and they've been the hottest team everybody's talking about uh, the last uh, few weeks thanks to the last dance. The Converse weapon, that's to shoot, that's magic to do what he was born to do. Maybe so, but that's not all. They let Isaiah play like he's ten feet tall. For the kind of moves that never fail, the weapon's the choice of Kevin McHale. The same is true for Mark McGuire. When I wear weapons, I'm on fire. Well, what can the weapons do for King? Well, I can do just about anything. You already know what you did for me. What? I walked away with the MVP. The Converse uh, weapon, the number one weapon in the NBA. So, ah, so, so cheesy. Converse on Pawtucket Ave, man. Right. I saw that commercial and I went, bam, rode hey. my bike right up, bought can those you, things for like $22. Can, 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 can you imagine the marketing campaign for Converse revolving Larry Bird? Do you want to do sweet reverse lamps like Larry Bird? Well, then get these Converse <laughs> weapons. Like, By oh, the way, it was shooting the three, okay? I mean, yeah, but do you really need a sneaker to shoot the three? Well, I can shoot the Steph three. Steph Curry and, selling sneakers. Yeah, but Steph Curry can shoot the three in flip-flops, and it'll be all good. You know what I'm saying? Like, to me, the appeal of basketball shoes when Jordan came around and was like, check out how I can dunk. Check out how I can fly through there. That's why Michael Jordan 
Best the, part they, do it. the part he didn't talk about then was that his feet were bleeding in Madison Square Garden. Well, okay, so, all right, so let's get into it. So right, real quick, yeah. though, uh, just to follow up, that's kind of why I segued in mm-hmm. off Shula. Another example is in the NBA. The Bulls have been nothing Correct. since all of this. I mean, that Derek Rose, Derek Rose had the Rose MVP had run, year. Yeah. Again, in totality, the Bulls yeah. have been nondescript and irrelevant as a franchise, even though Michael Jordan made them the most relevant franchise in the entire world. Phil Jackson, mm-hmm. Scottie Pippen. It just goes to show, just piggybacks on the conversation of why have these teams struggled so much after greatness to find even a sense of winning. Not that that greatness is tough to duplicate. Yeah. But I mean, almost irrelevancy well, in in various sports, which is very unique. When you lose, we're not unique. It's it's pretty common. I think it is now. When you lose a great coach like Phil Jackson, obviously, arguably the best player to ever do it, Michael Jordan. I mean. Those are big shoes to fill, you know. So um, that's that's where it stems from in, in any sport, you know. Like once a team has success, those key pieces move on. It's hard to replace those. It's hard to replace those pieces half the time. So, um, but getting in the last dance, though, like my favorite episodes by far. I th- I mean, listen, oh, no. and, and it's all been fantastic, yeah. But in terms of nostalgia and in terms of like, oh yeah, I remember that. Like I found myself doing that more than anything now. I want an apology from you because every time I mentioned Tony Kukoc, you were laughing at me. I called it. Tony Kukoc got his own segment last he night. He did. Yeah, exactly. And he earned it because people sleep on how legit Tony Kukoc was coming from Croatia in the NBA. He was supposed to be the guy. Like, it was all set up for him to be like, you know, like a Dirk Nowitzki. I mean, who, who called him? I think some analysts called him like. He was supposed to be the left-handed Magic Johnson, yeah. is what they called him. And unfortunately, you know... He really was, too. I remember yeah. the coach talk. I mean, you, you just... Nowitzki is really what he... He was supposed to be. Nowitzki turned out to be, Kukoc was supposed to be that. He was supposed to be that. But by the way, he got a lot of his TV time last night when they were trying to hate on him. It wasn't good. And and I wish (laughs) I would have delved in a little more because, I mean, he was a a key role player, let's just say, for the Bulls during that final playoff run. But, like... I wanted to see where his mindset was. Like, why did Tony Kukoc never become what he was supposed to be? And I get, like, Scotty and Jordan wouldn't really let him be that, I feel like. But I wish they would have kind of showed that story a little more. You know what's fascinating about the Kukoc part of that to me? There's there's been a great illustration of Jordan, and I would think even those other teams, what makes great teams and really what makes athletes, you know, yeah. the 1% athlete. But Jordan especially is this this what this is doing, and I think it's great for kids, uh, but even pers- perspective for all of us to remember is how the killer instinct and the want to win and the drive to win that you cannot relate to, mm-hmm. like as an average person, like yeah. you just can't. Like I can't. Like I I participated in sports. I like to win. Like I couldn't even put myself in the same stratosphere as that mm-hmm. on anything. I well, mean, that's- heck, my wife hates losing Monopoly games. <laughs> she might be closer to that than I am in that <laughs> sense. So, but I mean the. Th- the Kukoc segment really personified that, though, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because it showed that, hey, whatever, we don't care about the kid, but we are going to absolutely destroy this guy and make a point toward mm-hmm. the front office. That's how competitive those guys were. And they did it. Not yeah. only did they say they were going to do it, but they did it. Yeah. Well, numerous, numerous times it's kind of shown like any time you even a, a person, right, they may not have been the one to do it. A reporter did it. Yeah. If anybody even remotely tried to put somebody on the same level or close to the level as Jordan, he had to destroy them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was and that's I mean, that was another thing that happened. So a few takeaways from last night that I really enjoyed. Number one, Phil Jackson pounding Miller genuine drafts after big wins. Oh, yeah, big the, the MGD though, like I haven't seen a Miller genuine draft 
set aside from a grandpa drinking it in probably the past decade. So that was cool. Like, Steph's dad likes it. Oh, man. It's, uh, it's not for everybody, let's just say. Um, <laughs> the fact that, what was there, I mean, did how many cigars did Jordan smoke in, in, in a day? Okay, because do, do you know like the, the whole truth can you know like, the truth campaign for like millennials and don't smoke is bad for you? Put all that by the wayside because now Michael Jordan comes out, he's smoking a cigar in every single interview and every single like locker room photo. Dude, is smoking cigars is making Michael Jordan? Begs the question. Thought that was interesting. Um, another thing too that was interesting. Well, obviously the whole shoe thing. But we, three million. We, we've been over three that. million by year four was the expectation, and it was a hundred and twenty-six million in year one. Holy yeah. Adidas! How are you still a oh, company? My. Well, to be fair though, they end up going up to Kobe Bryant after that. So okay, like, that was some like yeah. twelve well, years no, late, no, fifteen no, years it. later. I, I get it, man. Like they definitely they didn't blew make the mistake twice. And, what, what about <laughs> Nike rolling out the red carpet to welcome the Jordan family? They had like that old school, like <laughs> you know, like where you print it off the computer, like when you're in grade school. They put it up, said "Welcome Jordan family," and that was it. it was per- and and that sealed the deal. It's a perforated paper. Yes, so you yeah, you, you get to the yeah. <laughs> And they put that up for Jordan. That was it. There's no doubt no that champagne. was printed off an Apple II. Exactly. No champagne. No, literally, a, a sign with your name on it. Hey, you want to play for Nike? Okay, it looked like they were at a Hertz rent-a-car so for that bad. meeting. It was so bad, man. But um, I thought it interesting, too. And listen, once again, keep in mind where I'm at right now, all right? Like, I'm on Jordan's second run. I'm a kid. I don't know the gambling stuff, okay? I, I don't really know the political stuff. And I forgot who made the point, but it was interesting. The reason why Michael Jordan, for the most part, was this world-renowned figure and liked by everybody, and I quote, and this guy said, is because he never pissed anybody off. Yeah. Okay, like he, and it's all like Tiger Woods. You yep. know, like Tiger Woods has had a chance to use his platform for whatever he's wanted to use it for. You know, like he has so many followers, um, especially like when he was really playing well. He had so many people that were behind him, but he just kept quiet. He just focused on golf. A la Michael Jordan, you know, and then there's like that one little political moment they talked about a little bit, but it is what it is there. Wasn't too much to it. But Michael Jordan, never he just focused on basketball. Yeah. And I thought it was very telling. And I love that segment because I am okay with that. And a lot of people aren't, but I'm okay with that. We don't have time to talk about that part yeah. of it today. We'll, we'll tomorrow or maybe even Wednesday we'll pick it up. But so we'll get to that this week because I think that's interesting. Uh, real quick thought that got me yesterday is just I felt like I was watching today's athlete. When I was watching Michael Jordan and the shoes and the branding and, and everything yeah. from saying the right things in front of a microphone to obviously the performance on the court to the shoes, just this whole branding and marketability. I, I guess I I knew how big Jordan was in the brand, but I didn't know really he was the fire starter on that as much. Mm. I, I, I thought maybe the other guys would have been somewhere along the way, even Muhammad Ali. But nobody was like Jordan. I mean, Jordan was paid 250 grand, mm. and then he sold 126 million shoes in year one, which means then he started to make a lot more money, and, and the reward went higher and higher for the player who was able to do such a thing. Mm. And then branding became a thing. And, and now that is today's day and age in all sports, really. Mm. But you also have to, to your point, kind of be the businessman on that side. You have to be the player, but also the businessman, not ruffle feathers. And the whole Republicans buy shoes, too, is a yeah. is a great line because of that. He didn't want to ruffle the business side of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I respect the fact that he didn't want to get into social issues, but there's no doubt the money played a role in that. I mean, he did not – he understood it. Like, to me, 
Michael Jordan understood the landscape of it all. He understood he was going to answer the same damn question every single day about his future. He understood he was going to have this huge platform, mics yeah. everywhere. He understood he was going to be in Times Square on a big poster. He understood that more than any athlete at that time. Yeah, man, and I'll say this, too. It, it gave me a great glimpse of, you know, it's like the ultimate phrase, heavy is the head that wears the crown, right? Seeing how Pro people... Jam? Um, Limp Bizkit? I, I, I don't know. Is that Pearl Jam? I don't know. But uh, I'm just saying oh, from... Oh, it might be, uh, actually, uh, it's, I thought it was a remake, but it was um, Zach Brown Band says oh, that in the song. Okay. I well, figured it was a I'm remake. Sure, I'm sure it's a quote from a book or something, too, as well. But it just went to show you, you know, I mean, the guy was on top of his game for so long. And people thought that he had the life. You know, he was living the life of yeah. luxury. But behind the scenes, man... That guy just wanted to break, and I don't blame him, man. Like, I don't envy Michael Jordan. I don't envy Michael Jordan's life just from watching that last night. You can also tell why he stayed pretty quiet the last 10, 12, 15 years now, right? right? Just yeah. give me a golf course or a private room at a casino. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, we'll talk more about the last dance as the week goes along. Tomorrow, by the way, we be joined by Dana White on the show amidst other things. So make sure you check us out on ESPN 693 to 6, Monday through Friday. And uh, we'll see you on TV tonight, CBS 47 and Fox 30.